North Coast, how's everybody today? Man, I'm feeling good. I'm ready to bring the word. I'm excited. I want to give a shout out to a couple of my friends here. Birthday parties. Let's go. Ryan, where are you at, man? Yeah. Happy birthday, brother. What are you, like 21? Let's go. Mike, are you back there? Is Micah back there? I don't think he's back there today. He's somewhere. But Micah, I love you. You're, my, you're one of my best friends, man. We go so far back. We have so many funny stories that we share and laugh. They're secret. They're just for us. We can't tell anybody else about them. But they're, they're great, man. I love you so much. Happy birthday. I know Vanna, happy birthday to you. You're always watching online. And, and Christy, happy birthday to you. Schreiber, I know she's watching as well. So we just appreciate you guys. And I know there's tons of birthdays, but, you know, there's just a few there to, to say. And if you have a birthday this month, happy birthday to you too. We, we love celebrating people around here. Pastor Troy is so good at that. So appreciate all you guys. Well, listen, a couple weeks back, I heard a really funny story I'm going to share with you. There was a group of people. They all went out on a boat. You ever been on the good time? Remember all the old school people here? Good time three, good time two, all those boats. I don't know what they call them now, but I'm old enough to remember the good time three. It was a good time for sure. Well, there was a group of people that went out on a good time three. And listen, Lake Erie's crazy. If you don't know much about it, it's shallow. So when the storms come, it can be calm. And then it's just nuts. There's like four or five, six foot waves. Well, this group was out on the water. Captain came to him and said, listen, guys, it's not going good. Uh, we're going to need to get prepared. Is there anybody in the boat, anybody on the boat that knows how to pray? And a pastor boldly stepped up. He's like, yeah, me. I'm a pastor. That's great. I know how to pray. I'll take care of it. And he said, all right, you pray. I'm going to take everybody else go get life jackets on because I got bad news. We're one short. So you go ahead and take care of praying. We're going to go ahead and grab the life jackets. We'll be safe. Hopefully you and God are on the same page because it's going to get rough here real soon thought that was pretty cute. You got to know how to pray sometimes because it's not always life jackets around, right? Yeah, come on. All right, well, listen, guys. Hey, how exciting is it to know, and if you do, maybe you don't, but we'll find out by the end of service. I'm going to make sure everybody knows that God is still moving in our lives. He's still moving here on earth. He's still moving amongst humanity. Is that powerful or what? I know this morning, even during worship, the presence of God filled this space and man, just created an a, a, a intangible, right? A thing you just, you just can't quite put your finger on, you just can't quite define. That is the moving of the Holy Spirit. That is the moving of God, performing the miraculous in your life, creating the opportunity for you to touch the Almighty. And it is a powerful, powerful thing. I don't quite know what I would do without it. So when people tell me, I don't know what that feels like. I don't know how, what you're saying to me or how to define what you're saying. I don't know if I've ever experienced it before. I'm like, man, you, you just, you got to. It's, it's, it's something that I, I, can't, I can't bottle it for you. I can't give it to you. It comes from the Almighty. It comes in his presence. It's why it's so important and so powerful to be a part of a church body. Look, I, I don't need you to come into this building to know Jesus, to be a part of eternity. That's not, that's not the required standard. But what I do know is that when I walk into this place, when I, when I put myself in an atmosphere amongst the brethren, and, and we begin to worship, and the Holy Spirit begins to move. There's no other place like it. it. It's an instantaneous relief of the stress, of the worry, of the doubt, of life. It's a deep breath moment. It's a drop your shoulders down kind of feeling. Isn't that a good thing? I want you to help me with something this morning. We're going to give God one clap here. I know a lot of times I'll say, if you give it up for the Lord if you're feeling me. But I want to give God just one clap. Can you guys do that for me? We only get one shot. This isn't like a say it loud and I'll make you say it louder type deal. So on the count of three, we're going to give God one clap. You guys ready? One, two, three. Yeah, let's go. I like it. 
Well, you know, for many, though, as we sit here this morning, the reality is they, they don't see God the way we see God. Perspective is, a, is, 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 the, is the crux, if you will, of how you live your life. That's why two people can see the same thing, but yet they're seeing something very different. <laughs> Depending on how you see something will depend on how often you live your life. So we can have the same job, but I can be blessed and you can be angry. You can be frustrated. We both can be married, but I can be full of joy and you could be angry and upset, right? We have relationships that we just don't have a, a pinpoint accuracy on understanding why, how come you have great relationships, but I don't have great relationships. Because my perspective is different than your perspective. And when you have a perspective that's lacking the eternal, you're often set back from or, or, or not included in what it is God's trying to fully give you because your perspective isn't on him, it's on you. It's on the temporary. It's on the things that matter here. So as opposed to thinking about the things that matter most in eternity, you're thinking about the gratification of the now and God's trying to tell you, man, I'm trying to put you into a place that goes to the future, that moves towards a goal of achieving the destiny that I have for you. So no matter where I'm at, no matter what I'm experiencing, my perspective is on which God has given me. And now my life, even though I'm looking like you, I'm sounding like you, I'm working where you're working, we got the same situation going on, we got the same street, same dog, same kids, same sports. I'm living with joy. I'm living with an eternal perspective and you're living frustrated, concerned, and worried about what's gonna happen next. Everything in life is affected by your perspective. How you see your finances, your health, your time, your relationships, your job, your family, your body, your faith even. We can both be Christians, but how you see God will certainly determine the type of faith experience that you're having, the type of relationship that you're having with the Lord. Matthew 6.22 says this, the eye is the lamp of the body. If your eyes are good, your whole body will be full of light. Now, I'm not talking about vision. Listen, I had to get glasses a few years back. And at first, I thought it was just kind of a fashion statement. I'm like, oh, I'll get some glasses. It'll look cool. You know what? So I, I came out with like, the, it basically was like an HD version of a, of a glasses. Well, unbeknownst to me, I don't know if it's like an old wives tale or what, but man, I, I went in for glasses the first year. Then I had to go back the next year. And he's like, oh, I think we're going to have to upgrade the prescription. I'm like, wait a minute. I thought this was just like a fashion thing. And then I went back the next year and he upgraded the prescription again. And now I'm like, all right, I can see that. But if you can make it a little bigger, that'd be nice. I'm not quite to like, you know, turning on the flashlight to read my menu situation, but I'm definitely like getting worried. But the Bible isn't just talking about your physical sight. The lamp of your body is a spiritual one, right? The eye and the vision of what you have is a spiritual contextual idea of understanding that the way you see God is the way you will live your life. It goes on to say this, but if your eyes are bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. That's why it's so crucial to see God in a way that allows him to be in control of you. A wise man is someone that sees life through God's perspective. We lack everything. He has it in abundance, right? We lack things. He's got everything in abundance, he is wise, we are not. He is full of vision. We're short-sighted. He is anointed with power. 
His plan for us is destined for an incredible life. My plan is, I don't know, I'm going to figure out what I'm going to eat later. (laughs) Our short-term thinking, our perspective is pretty limited. But when we're seeing things through the lens or the eyes of God, man, perspective becomes a whole different story. I'm now seeing things in an eternal way that create opportunities unbeknownst to me, to you, to anyone around that become completely and utterly miraculous. In Mark, there's a funny story. It's kind of funny to me the way I break it down, and I'll read it to you. But the disciples are in a boat with Jesus, and they're traveling. And, you know, here's, here's what I'll just, read, I'll just read the scripture to you. I'll let you go with it here. So uh, then Jesus got into the boat and crossed to the other side. The disciples had forgotten to bring bread except for the one loaf they had in the boat. So here's what they're thinking about. Man, I forgot to bring food. And at this point, the disciples know who Jesus is, right? He's going to go on and talk to them about the feeding of the 5,000 here in a minute, trying to help them get some perspective. But this is what the disciples are thinking. The very 12 men that hang out with Jesus have seen him operate in the miraculous, have seen him create something out of nothing, turn water into wine, do everything that he's done, heal bodies, raise people from the dead. And they're sitting here like, oh, no. We only have one loaf of bread. Like if I just, I mean, I don't know. I guess time lapsed, fast forward. But now sitting here this many years later, I'm thinking to myself, if I'm hanging out with Jesus, I'm going with nothing but flip-flops and T-shirt and shorts. He's just got everything. I'm not packing anything. He's going to take care of whatever I need. I don't need to know where my keys are, my wallet. Like, I don't have to have money. I'm not worried about anything. I'm just going along for the ride. I'm like, let's go. And the disciples are thinking to themselves, oh, man, I can't believe we didn't pack bread. What are we going to do? Life is ruined. Here's where it goes on to say, except for the one loaf in the boat. He said, be careful, Jesus warned. Watch out for the yeast of the Pharisees. Watch out for the yeast of the Pharisees. Y'all know what a Pharisee is, right? Someone that knows a whole bunch but don't really know anything. Like they, they, they understand and they read and they memorize, but they don't have any, they don't have any experience. Like they live in the realm of knowing and not in the realm of feeling. The disciples discussed why Jesus had said this, and then then they decided it was because they hadn't brought bread with them. That's the discussion. Man, Jesus is right on point. We were right. He was right. He's mad because we didn't bring bread. And I can just imagine Jesus standing here like, you guys, I don't know, like just rubbing his head like, did I pick the right dudes? Like, I know, I know, Father, that you wanted me to get fishermen, and like, these dudes aren't that smart. But listen, I, all right, I'll break it down for you, fellas. Let me help you understand. Here's where it goes on to say, Jesus, aware of their discussion, he asked, why are you talking about having no bread? Do you still not see or understand? Are your minds closed? I think that's a nice way of what he was saying. Now, these guys are pretty close, right? Are your minds closed is an interpretation for, are y'all dumb? Like, what, what are you talking about? What are you talking about? You, you, you have eyes, but you don't really see. You have ears, but you don't really listen. Don't you remember when I fed the 5,000, he says? How many baskets did you fill, fill with leftover pieces of food? And they answered 12. And when I divided seven loaves of bread for the 4,000, how many baskets did you fill with the leftover pieces of food? They said seven. And then Jesus said, and you still don't understand yet? I don't need your bread. I don't need your fish. I don't need you to do anything. What I need you to do is trust me. I don't need you to know what I know. 
I need you to know that I have everything that you need. That's all I need you to know. That's a powerful point. I don't need you to know what I know, Jesus said. I need you to know this, that I've got what you need when you need it. I'll take care of every single one of those needs, even the ones you're not aware of yet. There's three, three things that can really get in our way from seeing life clearly. The first one is my pride. Ugh. Man, y'all know when you're baking or making stuff, I don't, I, I don't even know if that's baking or cooking or whatever. I clearly have no business in the kitchen. I'm a good, I'm a good helper. But you don't need a lot of yeast to make bread rise is my understanding, right? Just a little bit. But even just a little bit of pride can destroy the vision of what God is trying to give you. Suddenly you get a little bit of success and like, man, look at that. I didn't even pray for that. Look what I'm doing. I didn't ask God for that. I achieved that all on my own. Had nothing to do with him. And your vision starts to get a little bit blurry. You start seeing yourself as the one who made things happen. It can really block things. I can't see what God wants for me when I'm living with pride. The second thing we do is short-term thinking. This is a big one. Short-term thinking is a trap. The gratification era of life is certainly here. I read a stat just the other day that uh, I think it was baby boomers had 21% of our nation's wealth just three generations ago. Millennials, 9%. Gen Zers now at 4.5% of our nation's wealth. We are the most educated, intelligent generation alive. And we are the poorest, the dumbest, the most ignorant, the most instant gratification minded people that have ever existed on the planet. That's why you got to be careful about achievement, right? You can go out and get all your certifications. You can go out and get your degrees. You can go out and get, you know, authenticated pieces of paper that tell you who you are. You can hang them on your wall. You can frame them up. But at the end of the day, if you're not out of the way, and if Jesus isn't hanging up top, all that education, all that material, all that perspective, all that information isn't going to mean much unless you understand where it comes from. Here we get back to the boat. The disciples discussed what Jesus had said, and they decided it was because they hadn't brought the bread with them, right? That's what they were talking about. And Jesus is talking about the life. Jesus is trying to explain to them, I'm talking about life. And the disciples were talking about lunch. Right? Right? I mean, he's over here trying to show us that you can have whatever your heart desires. In fact, I want to give it to you. I just need you to focus on me. I just need you to let go of your pride just for a minute and allow me to take care of you. I don't need you to educate yourself any further. What I need you to do is trust me. He's talking about behavior and they're talking about bread. He's talking about maturity and they're talking about their next meal. And Jesus, frustrated, is trying to explain to his disciples, guys, guys, time out. Time out. Put your focus back on me. I will satisfy the needs that you have. Don't worry about the instant gratification of what's in front of you. Focus on me. At this point, our government's printing trillions of dollars. Who do you think is going to pay for that? That's some instant gratification. We're lowering standards in order to make people feel good. That's not going to work long term. I know you feel good about it today because you got a piece of paper that says something that you're not, but it's not going to work when you actually have to do the job. 
What's going to take place then? That's a scary thought. We forgot the future and how much it matters, and we want everything now. Who cares about the consequence and who cares about the cost? The third one is a short-term memory. Man, God has saved us so many times, you've lost count (laughs) over and over and over again. But here I am again today, I'm like, God, where are you when I need you? You're never around. (laughs) If I would just take a minute to think about my past, just 10 years ago, man, just a week ago, when I was on my knees thanking God for bringing me out of the pit again. I can't believe I messed up again, and yet here you are, God. And then today I'm like, you're never around. You don't do anything for me. (laughs) That's why it's so important sometimes to journal, right? Because we're just, I mean, we are what we are. Like, God created us great. I believe that we are an amazing, amazing, miraculous uh, creation of the Lord. But, man, I'm telling you, I'll just speak for myself. I won't even call you. I, I can't remember what I had for lunch yesterday. I am so compartmentalized. I'm like, I got to get it done, and then it's got to go, and I got to make more room. It's important to write things down. In fact, I brought some journals up here today. The other day in my desk, I've kept these things around. You know, you, you hang around here long enough, you'll start to find some pretty cool things. It's like a little museum around here. So I found some journals of my dad's in my desk the other day, and I don't know how they got there or where they made it, but these are, these are, significant. These are pretty old. They've been around for a while. I wanted to read an excerpt, and it's just something simple, but this goes on for days and days and days. If you look, look at day, 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 day. There's a powerful truth about remembering what God has done for you. Remember that old song? He healed my body. He touched my soul. Something, something, something. Just in time. Yeah, he touched my mind. Listen, I'm going to praise his name. Mm, 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 mm. Get the back. Yeah. So you got to remember what God did for you. Thinking back on how good God is in your, has been in your life triggers a response. Remember, like, ah, let me get rid of my pride. I got to get out of the way. Because I remember last time I did that, boom, chains were broken. Relief came and miracles took place in my family's life. Oh, I got to stop thinking so short-sighted. I don't need to be gratified today. I don't need to be satisfied today. God, you've got a plan and no matter when it happens, I trust you. So today, I'll just sit still and praise your name. Today, I'll just be quiet and listen to your voice. Here's an excerpt from one of these days says, I worked out, I read, and I prayed. I don't know why it makes me cry. It says, I took a birthday cake to Forrest. He's a guy I work out with. I'm attempting to reach him for Christ. And then it says, I worked all day on two sermons for this week. The guys are still downstairs at the house repairing the bathroom. I'm so incredibly blessed. My family's healthy, and God is moving in their lives. That's awesome. You know, it's simple, and a lot of it's really not contextual, but it identifies the purpose in one's life and creates the opportunity for you to go back and be like, look, This is when life was good. I was focused on the eternal. My day started in discipline. I read my word. I went to my knees before my father. I created a connection 
that ensured for the rest of the day my mindset would be on the eternal, not on the temporary. That I wouldn't make the day about me, I'd make it about Forrest. That while it's frustrating only having one bathroom with five people in one house, I'm blessed. Because downstairs, they're finishing a brand new bathroom. And soon, there will be relief. And while those things might sound a bit mundane and a bit casual, I mean, I know they're not like, man, Jesus healed me from cancer or somebody rose from the dead today. That very attitude of removing pride, of creating a thought process or a thinking of seeing eternally and being grateful for what God has given and then celebrating Jesus for giving health to the family is the key to unlocking the vision of the way God sees me. Now I can see others the way he sees me. And now Forrest, the guy I work out with at the gym, is blessed. And I'm creating an eternal connection that will ensure that at some point, at some point, the seed laid in his life will lead to an eternity with Jesus. Proverbs 29, 18 says, without a vision, the people perish. More appropriately put, without God's vision, the people will perish. Many of us have vision. Many men, many women, powerful ones over the years have had vision. But without the vision of God, without the direction and the leading of the Lord, it will certainly lead to destruction. Ephesians says this, I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you. This morning, do you need a miracle? And I, you know, life is good, man. Life is good. Sometimes I get a little worried. I'm like, ah, why is everything okay? <laughs> something certainly is going wrong. It's the Cleveland in me. I don't know what to tell you. Like something bad is going to happen. Life is good. But that doesn't mean that I don't need a miracle. No matter what you're going through today, no matter you're battling a sickness and illness, financially, emotionally, mentally, the miraculous power of Jesus is available to you, and it starts with seeing what God has in store for you by allowing him to take over your vision. Here's how miracles happen, and I'll start it out with a little understanding. In Mark 8, it says, they came to Bethsaida, and some people brought a blind man. You guys know this story. It's the story when Jesus healed a blind man. He, had to, he, spit on, he spit on the man's eyes, and he cleaned them. But here's where it goes. Some people brought a blind man, and they begged Jesus to touch him. Jesus took the blind man by the hand, and he led him outside of the village. The story is really cool. I'm going to break it down for you. Here's the three conditions for a miracle. Here's what happened first. Somebody has to care. That's why a community of faith is so important. This blind man sat for many, many years. I envision part of the reasoning of a practical application of why Jesus had to wash his eyes with his spit is because they were so encrusted and dirty that he had to open them physically before he could open them spiritually. So let me wipe that for you, boy. 
not knowing what was coming, because, you know, the dude's blind. He's like, well, you got something in your throat? I'm like, no, nah, I'm good. I'm just going to write some spit on your face. <laughs> oh, come on, man. Somebody has to care. It's the first thing in the scripture that says that some people brought the blind man to Jesus. Our community of faith is essential to the miraculous taking place in other people's life. Because somebody has to care. It doesn't happen without it. Miracles don't take place without the connection from me, from you, to another person. The seed sown in Forrest's life at the gym that day never would have happened had my father not taken him that birthday cake and said, Forrest, man, I'm thinking about you. And I want you to know Jesus loves you. Oh, well, thanks, man. I appreciate it. That thought process never would have happened in him had he not spent his morning on his knees. Reading his word. Creating the opportunity for the vision of Jesus to come through him so that he could see others the way God sees him. The second thing that had to take place is that people begged him to touch him. Miracles happen when we get close to Jesus. The proximity in which you spend your life to the Lord are a strong indicator as to whether or not miracles are taking place in your life. See, miracles don't happen through memorization. They don't, they don't happen through the acts of attending church or giving in the offering. They take place when you come in proximity with the anointed one. When you touch the hem of his garment. When you enter into the presence of the Lord, that's why people will never understand you cannot buy Jesus. It is not for sale. Y'all sure do take a lot of offerings. <laughs> You're not buying miracles. The time you spend with the Lord is an equal distribution of living the miraculous in your life. How much time you spend in the presence of God will directly affect the miraculous in your life. It is a formula, the touching of the hem of his garment, the spending time in worship, the spending time in your secret place, on your knees in prayer, releases the power of Jesus in your life. The last thing that happened in that scripture is that Jesus took the blind man by the hand and he led him outside of the village. Let us think for just a minute. People brought the blind man to Jesus, you could imagine a crowd, right? This is, this is, this is, this is the, the most famous person in the area. <laughs> Jesus walks into town. People are bringing people, you know, heal this man. He's been blind forever. Show us what you can do. They brought the man to Jesus. They begged him to touch him. And Jesus is like, all right, hold up, time out. All of you need to stay here. Me and him, we're going to go over here. He takes him by the hand and he removes them from the noise. He isolates him and creates the opportunity for there to be a connection between him and his maker. When he took the man away from all of the noise, the outside influence, the negative perspectives, and he protected the miraculous by removing the mess. It is so critical for you in your life to protect 
the anointing that God has placed on you by removing yourself from the distractions of this world, by isolating yourself into the presence of God, creating a one-on-one connection void of others' opinions, void of distractions, silent, quiet, and open to what it is God, that's about, God is about to do in your life. So there's a progressive healing that takes place. And it's really one of the only times you ever hear of that with Jesus. He prays for the man. Here's what happens. In Mark, he prays for the man. He, then Jesus spit on the man's eyes and he put his hands on him. And then he asked, do you see anything? The man looked up and said, yeah, I can see people, but they look like trees. So Jesus put his hands on the man's eyes a second time. (laughs) A little more. He puts his hands on the man's eyes a second time. Then his eyes were opened fully. His sight was restored completely, and he saw everything clearly. Jesus sent him home saying, don't even go back into town. (laughs) Just go home. Just go home. This was between me and you. Just go home and celebrate. I love the idea that Jesus progressively is working on us all the time. There's always a message in Jesus' miracles. It's not just the act. It wasn't just the act when Jesus fed the 5,000. It wasn't just the act when the disciples, all they were focused on was the bread. He's like, let me teach you something about that. Feeding of the 5,000 because they were hungry was the miracle. It was the act. But the reality of what I was trying to show you was that you can trust me with everything that you need. You can walk away from the situation and not have to take one thing with you. There is no go bag. Jesus does not require you to have something sitting by the door just in case stuff hits the fan. He doesn't need it. He wants you to walk out the door with nothing. Put some clothes on. But just t-shirt and shorts and let's go. He's progressively working on us. In stages, my spiritual vision grows. I mean, think about where you were 10 years ago, where you were five years ago. Man, for some of us, where we were even a month ago, a week ago, a couple of days ago. God is actively working, progressing us, moving us closer and closer towards what it is that he has planned for us. Life full of hope, restoration, fulfillment, joy, peace, healing. God's progressive wiping of our eyes, creating a clear vision is a process. It's a moment for you to understand, like, listen, if you're not where you think you should be or where you want to be or where you see others and you're like, man, why not me? Why haven't I gotten there yet? It's okay. Don't worry about it. Like God's working on you. Stay waking up every single morning declaring God king over your life. Stay active in thinking long-term, eternally, and not temporary. Stay active in removing your pride from thinking to yourself, man, I got this under control. I can take care of anything. No, God's got it. It's not your knowledge, your attendance, your giving. No, we see others the way. Do we see others the way Jesus sees them? This is how you know you're growing in a relationship with Jesus. That's the measuring stick. You don't have to compare yourself to this person to the right or that person to the left. The measuring stick is do you see others the way Jesus sees others? 
That's how you know you're growing in your walk with the Lord. Because suddenly you're not seeing the faults of others. You're seeing the compassion, mercy, and grace that that person needs. And you're willing to give it to them. There's not a cost. There's not a prerequisite. There's not any type of, well, if you do this first, then I can help you. Or, and if you admit, then like, no, it's just, I'm just giving you what you need. And today that just might be a hug. I got you. Today, it might just be a listening ear. You could have all of it. Right now, it might just be a shoulder to cry on. And that's fine. Jesus heals in three ways. He heals my sight in three ways. My focus gets sharper when Jesus is touching me. He fixed the man's focus literally And if your life is out of focus, then you're not being touched by Jesus. Because when he came in and he touched the man's eyes, things became abundantly more clear. Yeah, at first, he was still seeing people looking like trees walking around. It wasn't exactly great. Things weren't 100%, but he came back around and wiped a little harder. And then suddenly, boom, things are clear. He'll sharpen your focus. The second thing he does is your perspective gets larger. Suddenly, you've got a bird-eyes view of what's taking place. You can start to see the big picture. You're not so narrow in your perspective. You're seeing that God is working on a bigger plan here. So I can just relax a little bit, not worry so much about what's taking place around me. I can focus on what God is doing because I know the big picture is much more bright than what I could ever imagine. When Christ takes over your life and, totally, and you're totally surrendered to him, now you're seeing the big picture. It's no longer me, myself, and I. It's you and us and him. My vision gets clear. The confusion is gone. Your spiritual cataracts is removed. The vision of life becomes clear. You've allowed now God to infiltrate your sight and replace it with his. You're progressing towards the intention for God's life, for the intention for your life that God has created. Job 34 says this, teach me what I cannot see. And if I have done wrong, then I won't do it again. If you would this morning, stand up with me. So here's the clarifying question today for the day. Who is Jesus to you? And I want to leave that there for just a moment because I want you to ask yourself. Who is Jesus to you? Go ahead, answer answer that question in your mind to yourself. Who is he? Here's the second one. How do I see Jesus? How do I see him? Who is he to me? And how do I see him in my life? Did you answer the question? Could you answer the question? Was the answer a little bit disappointing? 
was it honest? Because <laughs> I know right away when somebody asks me that, I'm like, he's everything. He's my savior. Okay. I mean, good. That's the right answer. But is that how you're living? Is that how you really operate? Is that really how you see life? Because it would look like something. It would sound like something. It would taste like something. It would touch like something. Smell like something. And it's not to be judgmental. It's just an opportunity for us to recognize and reevaluate. Take a little bit of inventory. I mean, we come here every single Sunday. Most of y'all, I see it every week. If you're visiting, I want to meet you after service. I'm going to be right out in that lobby. I want to shake your hand, say hi. But for the rest of us, watching online in this building, we've been around quite a while. You know, it ought to, it ought to look like something. This is okay. We're progressing. It's progressive. Progression. Those are the realities of humanity, man. The devil's here to kill, steal, and destroy. It's all right here. He's coming after it. He can't touch my spirit. Jesus gave me that. It's under lock and key. But man, he's messing with my head every moment of every day. That's why how I see Jesus, how you see him in your life, matters so much. How you function with that vision where you spend your time, how you see others, it puts a protective hedge around your mind. The one place the devil can come in and steal. He can kill and he can destroy. And that's where he's coming. He's coming for your thoughts. He's coming for your perspective. He's coming for your vision. You see him? I got you. <laughs> I see you, devil. I see what you're trying to do. I'm not going to let you take over my mind. I'm not going to let you take over my vision. Because I see the way the king sees. My last scripture is in Mark 8. It says, Then Jesus and the disciples went on to the villages around Caesarea Philippi. And on the way he asked them, Why do people say I am? Or who do people say I am? I'm sorry. They replied, Some say... You are John the Baptist. Others say Elijah, and still others say you're one of the other prophets. But what about you, he asked. And that's what I'm asking you this morning. What about you? Who do you say that he is? Peter speaks up and he says, you, you are the Christ, the Messiah, the Savior the rescuer, the provider, the healer, the restorer, the merciful one, the all-powerful one, the one, the only one who can make it all make sense. The opportunity for you to make it make sense again today is here. Because life's reality is that you're dealing with sickness. 
You're dealing with doubt, trauma, pain, and hurt. You're dealing with insurmountable odds on your own. But with Jesus, but with Jesus, you're now overcomer. You're now healed. You're now blessed. You're now free. I don't know, man. You have no idea. Yes, I do. Yes, we all do. I don't care where you're coming from. If you're white, you're black. It doesn't matter. You're brown. You're just, you're just another me. You're just another us. What you're dealing with, I'm dealing with. What you're feeling, I'm feeling. But what I know, you can know. No matter what you're going through. That Jesus is a miracle worker. And when you bring yourself into the proximity of the Almighty, He will take every single one of those issues, every single one of those pains and hurts and worries and doubts, and He miraculously, miraculously turn them in to the blessings that he intended for your life in the first place. This morning, if you're ready to get there again, if you're ready to go there for the first time, I don't need you to raise your hand and show me. Oftentimes, if it wasn't for just the reality of human communication, I'd just stop talking right now and let Jesus do that. But, but I want to instruct you on understanding this is the moment when whether you've known Jesus for a long time and you need to reconnect or you've never met him before, this is the moment that we make the turnaround, that we wipe the dirt from our eyes again. We restore the vision of Jesus in our lives and we allow the King of kings and the Lord of lords, do what it is he said he would do from the get. To give you everything that he promised. Life more abundantly and more abundantly and more abundantly and more abundantly and over and over and over again. You remember when he did it for you before? Yeah, I do. It makes me weep. I remember when he did it for me before. And I know he's going to do it for me again. I know he's going to do it for you again. I know he's going to do it for your babies again. I know he's going to do it for your spouse again. I know he's going to do it for your brother, your auntie. I know he's going to do it for our world. I know he's going to do it for our community. Because he's done it before. And they'll do it again. Come on, if you believe that this morning, say amen. 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 Well, I pray that you are blessed. I pray that you are touched. There are altar ministers coming to the front right now. Before you leave this morning, 
They are here to pray with you, to reach out on your behalf, to comfort you, to instruct you. If you gave your heart to the Lord this morning, please come this way and talk to them before you go. We love you. It's great to be with everybody. We'll be right back here on Wednesday night at 7 o'clock. Live right. Love everybody. Come on, say it with me. Pray hard. Amen. See you next week.